Welcome to episode 35 of the Chew In Your Boot podcast, and today we bring you the second of the dynamic Hussey brothers in David. While his career wasn't quite as decorated as his brother Michael's, he was just as good a cricketer and just as good as bloke, so we hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Dave, welcome to the Chew In Your Boot podcast. Thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure, gents. It's a bit of a weird time at the moment, obviously, so how have you found the whole pandemic in isolation? Um, I've actually loved it. Uh, I've got a wife and, and two young kids and being a homeschool uh, teacher, I guess, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit challenging, but I must say, spending time with the family, the wife and kids, and normally this time of year I'm in India, so I, I get a lot of spare time to, to spend time with them, so I'm probably in the minority, but we've absolutely had a ball as a family. It's been great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'd like to get a bit of background about our guests, so... Tell us a bit about your younger days. We've had Mike on the show and he spoke about some of your backyard battles. So <laughs> how did you see those and the competitive competitiveness between you brothers? Yes. So growing up in Perth uh, with an elder brother wasn't great. Um, <laughs> however, in saying that, we always played backyard cricket, backyard footy, went down the beach a lot. We spent a lot of time together, but we were just far too competitive as two kids. So um, I'd like to say that the games of cricket and footy and and playing classic catches all started off in very good spirit, but by the end, always ended up in fights. So, <laughs> um, so fortunately, we weren't that close as kids, but fortunately now that we've grown up and matured a lot, we've actually uh, become reasonably close, which has been nice. Yeah. Did you see cricket as being something you wanted to pursue from a young age? No, I didn't. I wanted to be a footballer or a professional surfer. So, um, yeah, no, I'm... I was a big Tony Lockett fan, big St Kilda supporter, and yeah, I wanted to play pro, pro footy, I guess. But um, I always saw Mike practising and, and being a perfectionist and thinking, oh, if that's what it takes to become one of the best players in the world, I don't really want to do that. I just want to have fun with the mates and, uh, and see what happens. But when, when you're not very courageous at football and you, and you lack a bit of skill level, you sort of got to look to something else. And I think I found a work ethic by trying to emulate Mike a little bit. And um, yeah, I was fortunate enough that... Um, yeah, cricket found me, I guess, by the end. And you mentioned, obviously, growing up in WA, but you played your state cricket for Victoria. So what prompted that move? It was one of those things where I was almost... Uh, I had, had almost graduated uni and was sort of thinking, what do I want to do? Do I want to actually work or do I want to play or try and play pro cricket? And at that stage, I just got cut by WA and um, it was like, well, I might as well move to Melbourne, a, a big city to, for, for work progress because um, there's better opportunities in Melbourne, a bigger city, more population. And I thought, oh, this would be better for my, my professional career. And fortunately, I found a really good cricket club in Paran and um, yeah, I was lucky enough to score a few runs, play a few second 11 games and once again got picked to play when I probably didn't deserve to get picked to play uh, for, for Victoria. And yeah made a few runs and lucky enough to play for the next, uh, I think it's about 12 years. So it's probably one of the best decisions I've ever done, ever made by moving from Perth to Melbourne. Yeah, for sure. In the 2003-04 season, you made an unbeaten 212 to chase down New South Wales 455 and they had the likes of Steve Waugh on their team. Was that a defining moment in your career? It was actually. Um, I remember travelling up from, from Melbourne to, to Newcastle and I looked at their score sheet. You do all your preparation work, and you look at their score sheet and had the two War Brothers, Brad Haddon, Simon Cadditch, Michael Slater. I was like, wow, these guys, Stuart McGill, these guys are unbelievable. So 
Um, and I remember Matthew Elliott saying to me, a teammate of mine, he said, look, you want to make runs against the best players in the world because it really stands you in good stead if you want to play, go on and play for Australia. And it sort of really um, held a chord with me because you want to perform against the best. And Steve Waugh was the Australian captain at that stage. And Victoria playing New South Wales, you always get yourself up for a, for a big contest. And yeah, fortunately enough, um, it was a pretty placid uh, pitch at that stage on day four. And I think Stuart McGill was tired from a, um, a very arduous Shield season lucky enough to score a few runs and, and most importantly get the win. And it's, there's no better feeling than beating, getting, or beating New South Wales in a Sheffield Shield game. You piled on the runs for about five years. You were the Bush Rangers player of the year in 08. Did you ever wonder what more you could be doing to receive Australian honours, which we will get into very soon? Um, well, yeah. I, there was just so many other good players around at that stage and you sort of... You want that opportunity to, to play higher, but then you see Brad Hodge missing out, Matthew Elliott missing out, and I kept seeing them miles ahead of me. So they were my motivation for working over and above what they were doing to, to become better players than them. Um, they were fantastic players for Victoria, but it seemed like every state at that stage had really good players. So it was a hard team to, to break into, um, but it was a, a good sense, a good source of motivation to, to elevate your game to a new level. So unfortunately, it didn't come until later on. Yep. And both your T20 and ODI debuts for Australia came in 2008. What was it like to realise a dream? Uh, well, the T20 debut was uh, phenomenal. I had a ball. Um, we played against India at the MCG. Um, I just started seeing my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and um, I think I became like a, a good solid four out of ten to a, maybe a six or seven out of ten when we start playing cricket for Australia. So, um, but that that night, just getting presented my cap by Ricky Ponting was yeah, it was just it was an amazing feeling. I got a couple of wickets, which was great, um, and we won the game. So that, that was that was a great feeling. Uh, and then making my debut in the West Indies once again, getting my cap presented by Ricky Ponting, um, our good friend in Lockie Patterson, he was there uh, also and. Yeah, it was just one of those moments where you, you never actually forget. And most importantly, we won both of those games. So I was pretty relieved. And being sort of such a new aspect to the game in T20, did you, how different do you find it when you made your debut to now, obviously, as a, as a coach? Uh, massively. It's changed huge. Um, I think back when I was playing, um, I think it was, it was still a hit and giggle, but trying to provide entertainment for the crowd, I guess. Whereas now... You actually work out every over and every ball is so critical and important to, uh, to both teams. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's become really a strategic game and it's all about trying to make, for, for me as a coach now, trying to make uh, each player to be as relaxed as possible out in the middle of the field so they can perform at their best. And you're also a prominent player in county cricket for Nottinghamshire. How beneficial do you see playing cricket in England? Oh, it was huge. Um, well, firstly, you get to travel to England um, and play on all the test playing grounds throughout, throughout England, which is phenomenal. You learn about how the, the history of the game, um, travelling up and down the motorway, and every different county has their, um, their unique histories uh, of how they started and, and all their great players that have played before them. Um, but also, most importantly, it got me out of the winters of Melbourne um, and doing a pre-season. I, I don't like the cold one, and doing pre-season... Did two or three at the start and they were for me. So if I could play cricket all year round, I'll definitely take that with both hands. And I was fortunate enough to fall on my feet with Nottinghamshire at Trent Bridge. And it's probably 
Yeah, I, it, I loved it. Every minute of it, I absolutely adored. Your maiden ODI century came against Scotland in 2009. Can you describe the emotions, I suppose, that you felt after this or during that? Yeah, so at that stage, it was an interesting time. Um, I was actually only in the T20 team and uh, the Australian cricket team were playing a one-day international against Scotland. And our selector said, right, we're going to use this one-day game as a warm-up for the T20 games against the English. And I was dropped at that stage from the one-day team. So I was, somehow I got picked to play in the one-day team against Scotland. And I was really angry and really annoyed. And so I walked out to bat that day thinking, right, I'm going to show everybody that I can actually play. And, um, yeah, fortunately enough, got a few runs against the Scots. And uh, I'm not, not saying, not disrespecting the Scots, but I'm really annoyed that playing in... That, my 100 against Scotland's my highest score. I really wanted to get a 100 against England or uh, India or one of the powerhouses of, uh, of world cricket. But the same same token, I'm not too uh, disappointed about getting a 100 for Australia. No, I'd take it. Um, in the IPL's inaugural season, you were bought by the Kolkata Knight Riders for more than the likes of Ricky Ponting. How incredible were these tournaments to be a part of? Amazing. So in 2008, um, when, when the IPL sort of came about, I didn't really know what to expect. And when I turned up to the first training session, we had Brendan McCullum, um, Saurav Ganguly, Ricky Ponting, Ishan Sharma, uh, Ajit Agarka, Akash Chopra, all these very, very fine players throughout the world. And, uh, you know, I put my, my bag down Saurav Ganguly and got to talk to him about playing international cricket and what it meant. And, we play the game of cricket and afterwards there's a party, there's an entertainment aspect of the IPL and it was just an incredible um, eight weeks of your life. And from now, from 2008 till now, the IPL has become really professional where every ball is tracked and uh, the whole game has become really strategic and it's been more about the off-field stuff and more about uh, the entertainment on the cricket field. So it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful tournament to be a part of and, and hopefully I can be a part of it again for many years to come. With cricket comes a lot of travel. How do you yep. find ways to cope with this? And especially when you went to places like India, as you mentioned, where you're so restricted and you can't go outside very often. Yeah, well, fortunately, I don't have too many hobbies and uh, I like reading the newspaper and having coffee. So um, travel for me wasn't too bad. Um, I met my wife reasonably late in my, my cricketing life and I had kids late. So travelling up till then wasn't too bad. And um, I guess by the end, when you actually have your first child um, and you're married, of course, and uh, that's when it starts hitting home. It, it makes travel hard, but initially I loved it. I loved getting out of Melbourne, loved travelling and seeing new places and um, yeah, spending time and, and always trying to improve. That was my mantra. Every trip I went on, I tried to improve some, some aspect of my life. So, uh, yeah, very fortunate to see some of, some of the great cricketing places throughout the world. Along with your ability as an all-rounder, you're quite well known for your incredible skill in the field and you're one of the first to do the inside-out boundary catch. How often did you practice your fielding to get to such a higher level? Yeah, I actually practiced that a lot. Um, firstly, thanks for calling me an all-rounder, but I think I'm more <laughs> of a batsman first because I bowl utter junk. But, but getting back to the catching, yeah, I practiced that a lot. Um, I think I saw it on tally once. I can't remember who it was, but it was in England. And then I thought, right, we're going to practice that. That's going to happen more and more. So, um, yeah, fortunately, practice makes perfect. And, um, yeah, just one of those things that happened to me a couple of times. And yeah, it's, 
you've got to take those half chances in T20 cricket because if you don't, the, the game could be lost. And yeah, it's fortunate enough to do it a couple of times. Is there something that sticks out in your mind as your favourite moment in your career? Oh, not really. Um, just winning Sheffield Shields, um, winning series for Australia, um, winning the county championship a couple of times, winning the Lords final. Um, yeah, for knots, um, just whenever you win competitions, that they're probably the standout moments. Um, a low lot is when I had four for about 40 against Sri Lanka at the Gabba in the first final against, in Sri Lanka and uh, against Sri Lanka, sorry. And a sky ball went up and my brother was out of deep back with square leg and he didn't go for the catch. Costing oh, no. a five That's That's my <laughs> low light. So, the dog of a man. But <laughs> so many highlights. Um, yeah, all about winning winning trophies and very fortunate enough to, to win, win a few, which is handy. You mentioned those Sheffield Shield winning titles. Do you ever think your prowess as a long format player was lost because of your prominence in the shorter formats? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's probably one of my source of frustrations, actually. Like when T20 cricket first came about, um, I scored a few runs for Victoria and not at that stage. And I sort of got pigeonholed as a T20 player, but I really wanted to break out as a Shield player, a four-day player, because my goal was to play Test cricket for Australia. And uh, unfortunately, um, when you get pigeonholed, you've got to fight over and above everybody else to get that opportunity. And um, yeah, I'm not saying I deserve to play for Australia because there's some wonderful players playing, but I would have liked to have uh, been in the, in the conversation to, to play Test match cricket for Australia because that was my goal and unfortunately I didn't achieve it. The BBL has obviously risen to prominence in Australia in the past 10 or so years. What was it like to be a part of the early years of the comp, especially as a renowned T20 player around the world? Yeah, well, initially, I really liked the state v. state um, T20 competition. Victoria v. New South Wales, Victoria v. Tasmania, playing in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people at the MCG was, yeah, it was quite a feat and, and really, really enjoyable. And then this new concept of the BBL where you get to choose between Melbourne Stars or Melbourne Renegades or you can choose Perth, Brisbane or whatever. It's like, uh, I'm not really sure about this. Like, oh, I love playing for Victoria. And um, so I chose to play for the Melbourne Stars and we, we got a few new recruits. And I must admit, day one when the Melbourne Stars formed, uh, you know, I fell in love with the place and um, the way they treated all the players and all the staff. It's, it's like one big happy family. So... I'm just uh, thrilled to be a part of the Melbourne Stars uh, and hopefully I will be for, for many years to come. In the BBL 05 final, unfortunately, you went down to the Sydney Thunder, which had their had your brother, Mike, which puts an interesting spin on, I suppose, the emotions that you might have felt after. Um, what, what did you feel? Obviously, bitterly disappointing, but did you feel any happiness for Mike? Uh, did I feel happiness for him? Um, no, no, not at all. Um, it's a bittersweet feeling because we spoke the day before we caught up for a cup of coffee and, um, and everything, but both of us are so competitive that we want to win uh, effectively. But he also told me the day before that this will be his last game of cricket. He won't be coming back. And so I'm thinking, oh, it'd be nice if he goes out as a winner, but playing against me and I want to beat you so it's sort of like it's a bittersweet feeling and the whole way through the game I still thought we were going to win um uh yeah just took uh Luzman Kawaja great innings that uh ended up getting them over the line but at the end I'm glad he won and not somebody else or not another team he went out as a winner 
unfortunately, the Stars are still chasing their first title, our first title, and um, yeah, something that I'm desperate to, to achieve maybe next year or the year after. And you mentioned that, obviously, post-playing, you're now the coach of the Stars. You had some success last season making the final, but unfortunately went down. How did you see the season playing out and that final in particular? Yeah, so last season was successful without uh, achieving our dreams or our goals of winning the competition. And um, I truly believe that if you keep putting yourself in uh, in positions of uh, finals and big finals or mid games, you're going to win one. And once you win one, I think the shackles will be broken and we'll win three or four in a row. But my biggest success for this year, or what I uh, gauge as success, is trying to make all the players who play out in the middle of the MCG in big games, if they're as relaxed as possible, they can fulfil their their skills and their dreams and, and just concentrate on the cricket ball coming down or that they're delivering. If they can do that, then my, my job's complete. So I can keep improving all players. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very happy. But most importantly, my goal is to win the, the, the whole trophy and... I'm desperate to see Glenn Maxwell hold up the uh, the Big Bash Trophy next year. Absolutely. You mentioned Glenn Maxwell. What's it like to work with people such as him, Marcus Stoinis, who are stars in Australian cricket? Easy. Uh, both of them very coachable, uh, wonderful people, most importantly. Um, they're, yeah, they're just easygoing. They want to win. Uh, they love the team, uh, which is which is what you want. And... I think I probably annoyed um, Glenn too much by my constant cricket chats and um, strategy. What do you think about this? And uh, he's a really um, uh, instinctive captain. And I think what I learned from him is that I've got to really encourage his instinct because his cricket knowledge is, is second to none. He reads the game so well. And um, it's something I'm a really structured person and he's an instinctive person. So I think we work really well with each other. And uh, yeah, like I said before, they're just a really good bunch of boys to work with. They care about each other and they want the best for each other. And most importantly, we want to achieve the best. And hopefully that is next year, holding up the BBL trophy. What does your future in BBL and coaching hold? Do you have any further aspirations in coaching? Uh, well, not in the short In the short term, I just want to win the BBL. That's my goal. And... Um, at the moment, no, I have never thought that coaching was going to be a career of mine. Sort of fell into it, um, and fortunately, I'm working with a really good bunch of boys in uh, in the Melbourne within the Melbourne Stars, and it's sort of mantra is to sign really good people, and hopefully, they turn out to be really good players, and, and I can elevate their skills into uh, into their, their best cricket that they can possibly become. But I've actually loved it the last year and a bit, and I'm looking forward to getting over to the, the IPL if that goes ahead in the next couple of months and working with Kolkata. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, I've got no no goals uh, that I want to coach anywhere else at the moment. I'm just focused on short-term goals. The Cricket Australia fixture for next season was released yesterday. But do you think, given the impact the coronavirus could have on cricket, that will definitely go ahead? I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm absolutely... Uh, I'm, annoyed without sport. I love my footy. I watched rugby league last night, which I never really do. Um, yeah, I'm desperate for cricket to start up again. Uh, I think everybody in Australia wants cricket to start up again. They want football to start up again. And um, yeah, I think Australia's uh, well personified by sport. So um, yeah, hopefully it all goes ahead. Um, the more sport cricket on TV, the better. The more cricket being played by everybody in the world is, is a much better place. So 
how hopefully it all goes ahead. And that means we've, we've beaten the coronavirus and people are outside playing the games that they love. Definitely. And an anonymous listener question here. <laughs> how does it feel knowing your wife is madly in love with a former Cricket Australia media manager? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> that former Australian media manager is a far better looking person than me, far better athletes uh, and far better person. So uh, he's definitely an upgrade on me. So I'm okay with it. <laughs> well... That's all we've got for you, Dave. We really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure, boys. Good luck with it. Good luck with your uh, careers in journalism. Hope it goes well. Thank Thank you. you. Wish you all the best in the future. That wraps us up for another episode. I'd like to say a massive thanks to Lockie Patterson once again for helping us get Dave on. Can't thank you enough for all your help, Wombat. And stay tuned for some more big guests in the coming weeks.